Hello and welcome to the second podcast from the City of London Churches for this Our City Together programme from the City of London. The churches in the city stand as a testament to the resilience of the human spirit and to the response in faith, in the Christian faith, to the challenges they have faced. Things like the plague, the Great Fire of London, and of course the Blitz, which we're thinking about today. Some were destroyed, some were rebuilt, some escaped too much damage. In our podcast today, we're going to be hearing from Arani Sen from St. Olaf's Heart Street. But first, we're going to hear from St. George Bush, the rector of St. Mary Le Beau, who is going to be reflecting on the effect of the Blitz on the city. The Blitz, of course, was a defining moment for the city of London as a distinct urban unit and also as a rare and exceptional architectural preserve. Probably rather less as a community. It's reckoned that 500,000 people came into the city every day, um, rather more than is proposed now, but that the population was only about 5,000. The Blitz in the city focuses really on two particular massive raids. Doubtless there was much other damage as well. One was particularly focused on the city, which was the 29th of December 1940, when, for example, 300 incendiaries a minute descended upon the area around St Paul's. Um, And, of course, it was the morning after that um, Herbert Mason the journalist and photographer produced that astonishing image of St Paul's wreathed in heavy smoke, uh, which become became such a famous and um, defining um, image of British defiance. I remember seeing a um, an oil painting of a similar scene um, with St Paul's surrounded by fires on the stairs to the chapter house. It may be in a different location now. And, of course, it does look rather splendid of St Paul's, but, of course, the the churches um, surrounding it, which are up in flames, are, um, some of them at least, are those of which my uh, are, are now part of my parish, St Augustine Watling Street, which was destroyed, and St Mildred's Bread Street, which was also destroyed um, as a result of the fire. Um, St Paul's, of course, was um, preserved largely because they insisted that the fire watchers working in the roof with their little pumps to extinguish incendiaries were all of them qualified architects or people very closely associated with architecture. So these were people um, of very considerable um, skill and I believe it was the case that they had to be, um, uh, their, their test was to be blindfolded and to be able to navigate themselves through the entirety of the roof of the cathedral unaided. So that's an astonishing and and an amazingly resilient and powerful skill put to good service in the Blitz. Um, A lot of buildings were destroyed and churches, including St Bride's Fleet Street, were were destroyed on that night, the 29th of December 1940. Um, And the population of the the city um, was largely evacuated on that night. Um, there was a warehouse which was full of brasso of all things and you won't surpri- be surprised that that made quite 
a spectacular blaze. The other night, of course, was the 10th to the 11th of May, 1941. The very last night of the Blitz, and not just concentrated on the city, but across the whole of London. 1,436 people were killed and 11,000 homes were destroyed. And there was a very strong feeling that if that if it had gone on beyond that night, that in fact London would have been broken, its spirit would have gone. And that was the night on which St Mary Le Beau, which had had um, uh, some damage from the, that first major raid at the end of December, but it was the night when St Mary Le Beau was almost completely destroyed, and the following from the following morning, you could look from the altar of St Mary Le Beau to St Paul's, and there was nothing in between. Only the four walls survived and the bells came crashing down from the tower, which was later declared to be unsafe. And, of course, it was the destruction of the bow bells, which was very iconically significant, um, particularly for the people of the beleaguered communities of the East End of London, who identified with bow bells as a residual um, uh, cultural um, artefact of their belonging to London. And um, after the Second World War, the, the tower was the first part to be uh, reconstructed, and that was what the war compensation was, was spent on. And the pearly kings and queens, um, famous for their costume and for their devotion to East End communities, went round the restaurants of the West End and persuaded people um, that was rather firmly to part with their cash so that the money was made available for the bells. The church itself was um, very nearly not rebuilt. One forgets that, of course, the, the 30s, 40s and 50s were dominated not by our interest in, in um, uh, the preservation of architectural form in its historic um, um, uh, significance and particularly famous architects like Wren, but a very strong sense that all future art architecture should be um, expressive of uh, modernity and and the particular brutality that went with that. So, so Samuel Lebeau very, very nearly wasn't um, uh, restored. I think it was the last of the churches in the city that was rebuilt. Um, and the architecture is a copy of Wren's but the interior is thoroughly modern. And I think that indicates the frame of the mind of the people in the parishes at the time. Um, there is a, somewhere in the minutes of the, of the um, clergy chapter at the end of in, um, 1941, there is a laconic sort of suggestion that, they, that the clergy got together to discuss what they were going to do with their churches now that they had all been destroyed. And of course, they all had different fortunes. Um, and as I say, St Mary Le Beau was uh, restored in a particular idiom as the liturgical movement church for the City of London. Um, so there was a sense of purpose in the Restoration, deliberate, emphatic purpose in the Restoration, and a, descent, and a sense that war was not going to be in any way um, a point of defeat. I think one of the other telling things is that at Samaribou, the the rood that hangs above the, the altar in the church was donated by the Federal Republic of Germany. And although designed by um, John Hayward, an English artist, it was in fact carved by Otto Izara from Oberammergau. And that gift was a sign of the sense of reconciliation that was there really from the beginning 
of the peace, uh, quite unlike the, the, at the end of the First World War. And if you go around the city, you do in fact see that mentions of the, of the Second World War always talk about enemy action or... Um, or destroyed in the Blitz or something like that, but never, ever demonising the people of Germany. And I think that was um, a very fine and spirited response and a form of resilience of its own kind in that it refused to give in to the demonisation of the enemy. Thank you to George for his reflections and his insight. My predecessor at St Botolph's during the Second World War was John Percy Rees, Rees Jones. He was known to everyone as JPR, and he took extensive notes in the parish service register during the war. He had been the energetic vicar of St James the Less, Bethnal Green, which he boasted was the first church in London to introduce talkie films into church and noted the church had over 100 meetings a week. It perhaps might have been a shock to him to move to St Botolph's in 1939, where there was far less going on. But he sent about in his first week, as he notes in the registers, an extensive cleaning and restoration programme. A Welshman, one of three brothers and numerous cousins who went into the church, he noted in an article in the Western Mail in Glamorgan on the 21st of December 1938, when he's quoted about his Welsh roots. Cardiganshire, you know, produces pigs and parsons. My family decided to be parsons, or most of them did. And the journalist notes in that article, Mr Rhys Jones is one of the most infectiously jovial men I have ever come across. The wartime service register is very moving. He notes every bombing raid in the parish, the damage that they did. Some entries are very smudged, some clearly written with a trembling hand. He closed his vicarage in Beckenham up at the start of the war and moved in to church. He was there sleeping in overnight and when the bombing raids were going on, he would go and ensure that the church survived. One line about his other church in the parish simply reads Holy Trinity Minories destroyed by fire. He gives thanks when St Botolph's is saved multiple times from incendiary devices but notice, notes how the building shakes and vibrates as high explosive bombs near, fall nearby. In one uh, register entry he details the trajectory of the bomb which came through the roof of the church damaged the organ pedals and then landed on the floor without exploding. He also notes that they had to use the piano for the two following weeks, but after the third week, the organ was repaired and they were using it again. JPR continues the extensive wartime notes in the registers until the war ends in 1945 and he reports his return to the vicarage. From then on, the registers returned to simply recording services, attendance and collections. Those wartime service registers are incredibly moving to read. He's clearly sleep deprived, anxious and concerned about people in his parish. 
But the wartime annual vestry reports tell a rather different story. JPR doesn't mention his lack of sleep in them. He doesn't mention the building shaking with bombs, but instead continues what is very recognisable for a parish priest today, concerns about the congregation size and about the finances. This is an excerpt from the minutes of the annual vestry meeting in 1942. The clerk informed the meeting that owing to his offices having been destroyed by enemy action, the record of the minutes of the last annual vestry had been destroyed, but that with the aid of the vicar, the minutes had been reconstructed and recorded in the minute book. It was fascinating how a fastidious attitude to bureaucracy remains consistent through times of crisis. The Easter Vestry Report of 1945, the Vicar's Report, notes this. In the midst of all that's going on, the Vicar writes, There is little to report. The church life remains static. No chance of any progress while the war is on. JPR stayed at St Botolph's until 1957 and retired to Wales, where he died in 1960. We're going to hear now from Arani Sen, who is rector of St Olive's Heart Street in the city, and he's going to talk about the connections between St Olive's and Norway during the war. My name is the Reverend Canon Arani Sen. I'm the rector of St Olive's Church in Hart Street in the city of London. A church has stood on this site since around the year 1050. The church is named after St Olave. St Olave was the king of Norway who came to support the English king Ethelred in the Battle of London Bridge in 1014 against the Danes. With his support, Ethelred won the war. When he was in England, St Olav was touched by the Christian faith and became a follower of Jesus Christ, choosing to be baptised in Rouen. He then went back to be King of Norway and he is remembered for his influence in Norway of bringing the Christian faith into Norway and the Christian faith spreading through Norway. The links with Norway remain very significant in the life of St Olaf's, nowhere less than when we think about the Blitz between 1940 and 1941. St Olaf's has survived many great disasters over the years, and Samuel Pepys, who himself was a member of this church, in his diaries writes about the Great Fire of London. In his accounts, he describes how most of the churches in the city of London were destroyed, but St Olaf's was one of the few that survived. However, it was in the Blitz in 1940 to 1941 that St Olaf's received its greatest and most destructive um, event in history, when most of the church building was destroyed. Fortunately, the silverware had been put into safekeeping, but the furniture, the roof, the structure, most of the building was destroyed uh, mercilessly. The tower remained fairly intact. It was in 1940 
that Hitler's forces moved into Denmark and Norway. In the Battle of Drebak Sound, which is depicted in the film The King's Choice, the Norwegians temporarily halted a German advance into Norway. King Håkon did not wish to go into any alliance with Hitler. He stood up against the values of fascism. And when Hitler wanted to put in a Prime Minister, Kesling, who was a supporter of Hitler, King Håkon decided to abdicate. He came to England and built up a resistance, living in Devon and in London. When he was in London, he worshipped at both St Olaf's Norwegian Church in Rotherhithe and St Olaf's here in Hart Street. After the war, when the rebuilding began, it was King Håkon VII himself who came and laid the foundation stone. As he laid the stone, he said, let, us theref let therefore the new edifice that will join the broken arches also symbolise the endurability of friendship between nations. That symbol of unity and that symbol of cooperation has remained in the history of St Olaf's over the years. And each year we celebrate with an Anglo-Norwegian carol service. Sometimes here, sometimes at Rotherhithe. The Bishop of Trondheim himself spoke of God being our refuge and our strength at the service as the church was rededicated. St Olaf's has a long and detailed history and through the destruction of the war it has come back to life as a place of mission and evangelism to spread the love of Christ as the rector at the time Augustus Powell Miller said he said that this will be a place of mission of light and of declaring God's love in the midst of destruction the church stands today as a witness of a long history to Jesus Christ and to the mission of God's church We hope you've enjoyed our podcast from the City of London Churches. Next time we're going to be reflecting on architecture and inside and outside space. In the meantime, please be assured of our prayers. You can visit the websites of any of the City of London Churches and there will be people who will be pleased to hear from you if you want to contact us about anything.